0: This is the Mile High Fi podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Huntington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to fi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview fi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to fi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week. And if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug here. I just want to jump in before we get to the full episode. I for some reason uh, kind of pride myself on being able to do these episodes in my own podcast in generally one take with very few edits. There's only been one situation where Carl and I have had to edit an episode. We were reading information from like a table or a chart and it was kind of hard to do so we needed to, you know, just do it again to make it more clear. So, with like 120 some odd episodes, we've only had to do like one true edit like that. Today, this episode is another case. This one was 100% my fault. We were doing great. Running through the episode, there was a quote that I wanted to read and I got about halfway through and then just started laughing. And it's not a funny quote at all. I don't know why I started laughing. Well, I do and I'll explain a little bit more. But anyway, I'm going to end up re-recording it because it was uh, ridiculous what happened. And I just could not stop laughing. I got giggling. It made Carl start laughing and just thinking about it makes me laugh. Now, in fact, I'm pretty sure when I read this quote again, I'm going to have to re-record it like three or four times because I'm just going to think about how I was laughing before. I don't know. I just got kind of silly for some reason. So anyway, if you're listening to it, we will seamlessly just insert the quote and you won't even notice. So the quote will be in there, it should be good. I think we'll be able to figure it out. We may be laughing on the tail end of it, but it'll work out okay. If you're watching on the YouTube side, we're going to edit it in. There's just going to be, you know, uh, talking head of me reading the quote, and then it'll roll back to the normal, uh, viewing experience. But because it's so ridiculous, uh, we will put the blooper at the end and it will, you'll just understand that I was reading fine. And then it, it got silly. The reason why I started laughing is I was reading a quote and it's from Michael Kitsis, right? So it's a, it's a good blog post. And I was reading a quote, and one thing you may not know this, but uh, a lot of times it's hard to read a very long sentence out loud, or to communicate it if you don't know the exact cadence of how you should pause for commas, or maybe there's an M dash or a colon, or there's uh, some complexity with it. So anyway, I just messed up the cadence. I thought I was at the end of a sentence and I paused and it wasn't the end of a sentence. It was just a comma. So I paused for much too long. And when I started back up, I realized that I was starting in the middle of a sentence and it just (laughs) sounded silly. And uh, I just could not stop laughing. So that is why we ended up with this sort of weird edit and then me rambling on telling you about how I made a dumb mistake and then I just started giggling. So we'll fix it. The bloopers at the end so you could just hear us laughing and uh, yeah, I'm about to start laughing now just talking about it. So let's send it to the episode.
1: Hello world. Welcome to the Mile High fi podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host.
0: Doug Cunnington.
1: Doc, we're going to talk about retiring and what you would do if you wanted to retire right now. And I should preface that with saying that we're speaking on, what's the date? I don't even know.
0: It so, is uh, November 17th.
1: Yeah. So the markets have taken quite the hit. I think we're we're probably in a recession, although I don't think it's been officially
0: verified yet. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, the markets are down, well like 25% this year so far? Yeah, I think so. And do you happen to remember the last time this happened?
1: Ah, The markets took a big hit. I think it was 2018, January of 2018. I think we were down over 20%. And then when COVID happened, it was more than that. But both of those were very short lived, like the V-shaped recovery goes down real fast and back up. And I think now we're going to be down for quite a bit longer.
0: Gotcha. Why do you feel that way?
1: Um, before, well, COVID was short-lived and the government pumped a whole bunch of money into the economy to prop things back up. Now they're doing the opposite. The uh, economy is overheated, so they're taking money away by raising interest rates. Uh, and it seems like, I just heard, read this morning, one of the Fed dudes was like, yeah, we see we'll probably have to raise by like another 2% or something like that, which is quite significant. So mortgages could be close to... To ten percent at some point, which is mind-boggling. If you would have told me a year ago that that would be happening, I would have never believed you. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a longer cycle. It's already been a lot longer, and them continuing to raise rates, eventually they'll get to a point where it plateaus, and then they'll start lowering. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think we'll have at least a probably a full year of pain, if not more.
0: Yeah. So yeah, this is one of those things where it feels risky, you know, if you were going to stop working. So we'll dig into that. And the thing is, I haven't talked to you in a bit, Carl, because you were out working on your house and stuff, which is going pretty good, right? Yeah. Almost done, like 90%.
1: Almost done. I have to move the plumbing from the outside wall to the inside. The plumbing is supposed to be like five tonight. So if I don't do that, my my pipes are going to explode. (laughs) So right after this podcast, I'll be doing that.
0: And there's one thing we haven't talked about, and our good friend J.D. Roth he's actually sat in on a couple episodes, so there's a topic that he and I talked about that I, I do need to ask you about and I didn't prep you on it before, so I hope it's okay that I'm asking so do, do you have any idea what it could be i
1: I do not have any idea it could be anything coming from you, Doug.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite Taylor Swift song and/or album? <laughs>
1: Uh, I don't really. Uh, the only Taylor Soft Taylor Swift songs I've ever heard, I can't even say her name right, are because my children listen to her and sometimes play it over a speaker in the house. But I. You know, I can't even name one song. Actually, I can hear them in my head. Like,
0: Sing some. Sing a few bars the, here. We'd love to hear that.
1: There's one day. There's one where she's mad at someone, like, <laughs> one day I'll be living in a city and all you'll ever be is mean or something like that. Gotcha. Do, do you know what song I'm talking about?
0: No, I'm, I don't know.
1: Okay. I'm not sure. I am not, in, in fact, going to uh, sing it, but you should learn it. If yeah. you learn it on guitar, then, then I'll sing it.
0: Okay. I, th- I was going to say, I think a lot of the songs, she's mad at someone, right? I guess, but
1: man, she shouldn't be mad. My kid tried to buy... A concert ticket for her and she finally got through and she's like yeah dad i paid 250 bucks for a ticket and i'm like wow like think of how many hours you had to work to do that she's like yeah it was like 15 hours but but i don't care i really want to go see that then the next day i think it was this morning actually she's like dad people are selling tickets in my section for like almost a thousand dollars i'm like what
0: yeah it's crazy I, I didn't
1: know she was that big
0: yeah really big and i you know i um Well, that's good to know. We're going to have to expand your Taylor Swift knowledge. But yeah, JD loves Taylor and as do like whatever, like a billion people in the world or something like that. It's uh, kind of staggering. So I'm not a huge fan. But after talking to JD, I was like, all right, I'll check out 1989, which is JD's, I think, favorite album. And when he really discovered uh, Taylor And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can, you know, check out the episode that I did with JD a little while back and we, we spent a few minutes and I was really trying to dig in. And the the thing is like, uh, well, JD included, but you and I, Carl, we're kind of the wrong demographic. Like we were a little, um, older, we're like in our twenties when Taylor Swift started getting more popular and she was like a teenager and you know, we weren't really drawn to that kind of music. I don't think, right. You listen to like kind of hard rock metal kind of stuff, right? Yeah okay and i'm more like classic rock and maybe some um like alternative rock kind of stuff especially in those days and it just kind of was off my radar i didn't listen to pop music so much but and i did admit this to jd when a taylor swift song would come on i wouldn't change the channel and i'm like this is not bad kind of catchy you know not too bad and i bet that is what has happened to you too, right?
1: Yeah, maybe. I even volunteered to go to the show if my kid got a second ticket, but it turns out she did not. So I've saved myself from that fate. But yeah, she might not be bad. How was 1989? Did you actually take a listen?
0: I or? did. So I was about to get on a flight, and I was like, you know what, I'll download it and check it out. So yeah, I would say you know pretty good. I read a review, and it did mention it was sort of like 80s like synth, uh, inspired for some of the songs, if I remember right. And I was like, oh, that's fine. So, yeah, there's probably like three songs where I was like, oh, that's kind of catchy. I'd listen to that again. A lot of them were fine, but I, you know, wasn't drawn to them. So, pretty good. Um, but I'll have to check out more of uh, Taylor's back catalog to see what's going on.
1: Don't her fans
0: call themselves
1: Swifties or something like that? Or I Swiffers? think that's right. I don't yeah, right. I, okay.
0: think, I think the Swifties. Yeah, I think Swiffer is uh, the... The cleaner for your home.
1: Oh, the floor care product. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What would you call our uh, fans? <laughs> Dude. I,
1: I've never thought about that. Uh, mile high five clubbers. Oh, that that's too long. We need some alliteration in there.
0: Yeah. Something mile I, high, higher, I don't know. Mesh t-shirt club or something.
1: <laughs> we get a lot of emails about that, actually. We used to talk about how we're going to come out with a mesh see-through like tank top and we still haven't come out with that product but we're still working on it we're playing the long game yeah except we, for the t-shirt will not be
0: long yeah okay cool so i just i thought we definitely needed to talk about taylor swift so back on topic here if you're on the cusp of retiring what would you do and i'm um, you know just you specifically carl like if you were like oh we planned this out and we're like right on the edge of like the four percent rule and that's what we've. Ad- adopted like psychologically how would you deal with it would you go ahead and retire like what would you do to midi or actually i'll just leave it at that so what would you do would you pause and keep working your job
1: yes and no so i think most people think about this the wrong way let's take these two hypothetical scenarios well the one's not hypothetical because it's right now would you rather retire right now Where the stock markets have taken a huge hit or would you rather have retired like a year and a half ago or everything's great, the S&P 500 is hitting a new high every other week or whatever? I think the correct answer to it, although it doesn't seem like the comfortable answer, is right now because the markets have already taken a hit, your money – The sequence of return stuff is probably just about over. I actually did some research for this show, which uh, I'm barely capable of. Yeah, I know. Rare, right? I don't even usually read the outline, even though I write it. But anyway, I looked, and the average recession lasts about 10 months. Uh, We're probably in a recession. That's always a lagging thing. You don't know you're in it until, like, the next quarter or something like that. So the best possible time to retire would be in a downturn because then the money is going to – uh, usually what happens is the money goes down and then it goes back up and it goes back up the most after it's gone down the most.
0: Okay. Yep. And that is counterintuitive, but I I also did research, look at us like professionals and it's the people that retired when the market was up, right? So like the beginning of 2022 before any kind of drop or the whole previous year, right? Cause at that point they're drawing down and then everything goes down. So when you actually look at the balance of the portfolio, Those people do worse off if you play out the simulation, right?
1: Which people do worse off? The people who (laughs) retired when it was going up?
0: Yep. At the high. Yeah. At the high. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. Okay. And then, so knowing that, you would retire right now?
1: I think I would, like if it was right now, like today we're talking in mid-November, I would stick around till maybe first quarter next year. And the reason I would do that is so I could max out my 401k for next year, throw another $20,000 or I think it's like 22,500 is the new 401k limit. So throw that into the oven when, uh, before everything fires up again. So I've got a little bit more money to work with. And, uh, you know, it kind of like be nice to see the end of the war, like make sure things aren't going to get really shitty, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I would stick it out for a little while longer, but not that much longer.
0: Okay, and I think, you know, I'm fairly risk averse and I've maybe said it before, like if I didn't get laid off, there's a chance I'd still be working at the same company because it was remote, it was kind of cushy. I was in that very safe middle management area where you get paid pretty well, but you could also delegate a lot of stuff (laughs) to your team. So I was in this great spot where I could coast and get away with it because it was a big enough company to do (laughs) that sort of thing. Also, I'm lazy. So I would I would probably stick around a, a little bit, just like you said, the caveat, and I bet you'll be with me on this one, if you really hated your job, if you were like, every day is the worst day of my life, <laughs> then I would say, you know what? Quit that. You can find another job and work part-time to sort of like... Uh, temper the situation a little bit from a cash flow perspective, but if you really hated your job, I would say, you know, go ahead, stop. Like you don't want to have every day be miserable.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would do that regardless of what's going on. If you can, life is too short to be miserable. Don't be, don't make crazy, dangerous moves. But yeah, if you hate your job, you should find something else to do.
0: And and the reason why this is an issue is uh, the sequence sequence of returns risk. So what can you define that, for us, Carl, for people that don't know?
1: Uh, so if you need a million dollars to retire, and uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to do a good job of this. So if you need a million dollars to retire and you quit, and then the next year the stock market takes, or the next day the stock market takes a 20% hit, then you only have $800,000 to compound. And you're at that time, you're in withdrawal mode, too. Uh, so the more money you take out, the less money there is going to be working for you. And at the same time, everything's going down and that compounds just like it compounds good. That'll compound bad and hurt you, especially if you've got a big downturn early on, it's going to like, that's the biggest risk to retirement is, a Downturn when it starts. I don't think I actually answered the question. What would be your definition, Doug? Yeah,
0: no, that's pretty good. I shouldn't have done that to you. That was my fault. That was my fault. So basically, in the simplest way is you have poor returns early in your retirement. Like that that explains it. And then if you you look and and you actually gave a good example. So if you get those bad returns early on, and it takes X amount for you to live, and your expenses are a certain amount, you will not be taking four percent out. You'll be taking like five or six percent because you're drawing from a a, a smaller um, portfolio. Yep. So, so yeah, I think between the two of us, we have one brain uh, total. So, and that's the big deal. And the other part that we usually don't consider as much because we've been doing great with inflation is. Inflation. So that is just as bad, if not worse, because we haven't been talking about it because inflation has been fantastic for, I mean, probably our adult, career, uh, adult lives overall, right? Like, have you experienced any bad inflation since you've been working?
1: No, I think this is the first time we've ever had crazy inflation like this. I mean, maybe it happened when I was super young, but like around 1980, I didn't know enough to even know what was going on at the time. So yeah, this is the first time that's happened. We've been, it's been so good for so long, right? Two or 3%. I think the Fed mandate is 3%. And uh, yeah, Yeah. this is the first time it's gone off the rails.
0: Yep. So at that point, I mean, it basically, it plays out the same that if inflation is up, then you're going to be drawing more down because it's going to cost more for you to live and your expenses are going to be higher than what you anticipated. So it's a little, you know it's a little tougher because we have the recency bias of very low inflation. And we're like, they have this dialed in, like we're not going to run into an issue, but here we're reminded that um, it's kind of cyclical and it happens. So, and have you done anything personally to uh, like deal with inflation?
1: Uh, We actually have, we went out to eat like uh, maybe three or four weeks ago now and we cut our bill and it was like over a hundred bucks and, Like, holy crap. I don't know if we've ever spent that much on a, just a normal meal. We have spent that much on like a real fancy, maybe once a year type thing. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it was over a hundred bucks. And we looked at each other. We're like, you know, this is kind of nice, but not that nice. Let's cut this stuff back so we did we haven't been to a uh, sit-down restaurant since that time
0: yeah i didn't know taco bell raised their prices that much
1: it's crazy man the box is like 4x what it used to cost (laughs) they still call it the five dollar box i think but now it's just like 20 bucks just
0: deceitful yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think like we had we stopped eating out as much uh for a while and then when things opened back up in the last year or so we we've been going out more, but yeah, like ordering a drink or two, you know, beers are like $8 or something like that. Like it used to be like three or $4 back in the day. Right. Yeah. Crazy. It
1: It's kind of a good challenge though. Cause you learn and you strive to make tasty meals at home, which is always way, way cheaper. And so many just had her birthday. I'm like, you know what? She really likes steak. And I thought of you, Doug, because you made a really good steak. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make a good steak. So I did. And uh, it was harder than I thought. It came out okay. But man, I kind of, I messed it up a little bit. They were a little bit too far done.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah, it is tough. It's tough. I mean, I've, I made a lot of steaks to like dial it in. Yeah. I still make mistakes too. It's tough. Mistakes. stakes. Yeah. <laughs> missed, missed steaks. Okay. So what can you do to mitigate the risk of sequence of returns and issues with inflation? Because now it's more front of mind. So there's a, there's a couple things we can do and Carl let you kick it off here.
1: I have never met someone in my life who doesn't have anything they can cut out. Like I've never met someone living on ramen noodles, rice and beans that keeps their house at 58 degrees and takes their bike everywhere in the middle of winter. So there's always something you can cut out for us. It was going out to eat and, uh, That's probably pretty much it for us. We work from home. We don't spend a lot on fuel. Uh, Mindy will kill me if I turn the thermostat down anymore. But I I think everyone always has something they can cut from their budget, even if it causes a little temporary discomfort.
0: Yep. And for us, um, I've kind of alluded to it in some other episodes, but, you know, cutting back on drinking, you know, we're uh, big consumers of beer. So that's pretty expensive. I mean, when I look at, like I do the grocery shopping around here, so I kind of know how much like a case of beer costs at Sam's, which is, you know, a cheap place to get beer, but you know, it was like 20, 25% of like the grocery bill, which is <laughs> A lot embarrassing, but that also has a side effect of us being healthier and sleeping better, which is another terrible realization that I'm finding is like, I just sleep better. Like I slept nine hours last night, man. Wow. That's incredible. No beer. And yeah, it's the saddest thing because I like drinking beer and other alcohol, but unfortunately there are many downsides to it. One of them is um, the cost. So we could cut down on beer. So sad. Are you going to cut down on a beer?
1: Yeah, I haven't had one in a long time, actually. But, Doug, you'll be joining us for Thanksgiving, which will be over by the time this comes up. But we will have a good beer on Thanksgiving. Just a quick side note. Doug, you're the beer person. Like, what is a really good beer or what should we have with Thanksgiving dinner or before Thanksgiving?
0: So, I really like Belgian beers. So, St. Bernardus 12 is like one of the go-tos. It's very similar to the West Valeteran 12, except... It is not as rare, and you can just go to the store and buy it. So mm. Saint Bernardus Twelve is fantastic, and then I have a couple um, Imperial Stouts that I can bring over too, and then a couple of my home brews.
1: Okay, what store would I go to to get Saint Bernardus Twelve?
0: Uh, you can go. I think you can get it at Wyatt's pretty easily. That's okay. kind of my go-to. Cool. I will so, check it out. Yeah, really good. And you know anything in that uh, Belgian dark, strong or quad quadruple genre like that'll. That'll be a good one. Yeah. So.
1: so I like, I like your example, Doug, cause it has compound effects. Not only are you spending less money, but your health is increasing in multiple ways. Uh, you're sleeping better. You've got less empty calories. And, uh, yeah, there's other things like mm-hmm. that. If you can bike or walk somewhere instead of spending money on fuel, you're going to increase your health and decrease the money. Yeah. You spend. And the thing is, man,
0: my hair's growing back too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Damn, you should write a book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'll throw in a couple other things. So the allocation of your investment. So this is not investment advice, but you know we've talked in the past about like our allocation. So you have no bonds; you have just uh, stock in, in your portfolio. Correct,
1: right? stock and real estate investments.
0: Okay, so real estate is obviously the, another huge piece. Um, what what percentage of your total net worth is real estate?
1: I think it's probably 25% real estate, 75% stocks. And the real estate is a single family rental, which we're still working on to get rented out, uh, a bunch of syndication deals. And yeah, that's it.
0: Okay, cool. And then for us, um, do you count your primary residence in, in that? I do not. Okay, cool. So in that case, we have no real estate other than what we're living in here. And then- for us, we do have a little bit on the bond front. So I don't know exactly what my wife has in her portfolio, but if I had to estimate between the two of us, we probably have like 15-20% in bonds, which it does cost us as far as returns, but it gives us a little bit more of a um ballast, I guess, to stay steady during these downturns. In theory, we shouldn't go down as much as um you know, if we just had a hundred percent stock allocation, so align that to your risk tolerance. And if you have real estate, you know that counts too. So you know, whatever you're considering, or if you have precious metals or fucking crypto or whatever, right? <laughs> Would you is do you have much crypto?
1: No, I, I have zero in crypto. Doug, did you ever go through with any crypto purchases? Or?
0: I did. I got um. I put fifty percent. No, I'm just kidding. I I uh, I think it it was about four thousand. So. It was a little bit to uh, get a little taste and see how the mechanics worked. And I didn't go in at the height, but I think it's probably down like 40 to 50% from when I purchased.
1: Did you buy a specific coin or I think they've got like index funds of crypto now too. What did you do specifically?
0: Uh, Bitcoin and ether. Okay. So just kept it simple, got those two. And I, I remember when we talked about it, I was like, this is the long haul. Like I'm not trying to like jump in and out and try to time it or anything. I was like, all right, we'll check in in 25 years. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't enough to like make a huge difference either way. Sure. So, okay. And this is one thing that, you know, you mentioned that you would do, Carl, is have cash on hand the first few years. So can you talk about like how that would work? So you have your stock allocation. Let's say you retire. How does a cash help you?
1: Yeah, so I'd probably have about maybe a year of cash in the highest yielding bank account I could find. And I probably wouldn't touch it in a downturn. So if we were in a recession or a 20% correction, I, I would touch it. Then I would draw from that money. And the reason is I don't want to sell stocks when they're depressed to fund my existence. I'd rather take money from the cash hoard. Uh, would you say? Cash what <laughs> Horde, hoard? H O A R D. Yeah, th- th- that means I don't know something what else a cash
0: whore is. What is that? Is that a new <laughs> thing? It's a new five thing.
1: <laughs> it's another form of FI, Doug. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and then when the stock market it, say I plow through that, the average recession lasts 10 months. You'd hope you could live off that money for most of the time of the downturn. Uh, then when things recover, you just replenish that cash, sell some stocks, and put money back in the cash.
0: Okay. And technically, right, technically this is a psychological thing because in theory, right, Leaving the money in all stocks would be like the best situation. But I, is that correct?
1: I think it would be. Go Curry Cracker had an article about that, and he suggested 100% stock allocation is the way to go for long-term. Mm-hmm. For the long term,
0: And I guess you know the the risk is the market drops like ninety percent and then you have to withdraw the other ten percent or whatever to live. That's an extreme example that hopefully would not be true. But then you would go down to zero and then you're screwed, right?
1: Yeah, if that happens, we have other things to worry about.
0: right. So that is one thing to consider, but yeah, kind of would be unusual to say the least. So we already talked about like withdrawing less and part of um, withdrawing less is like uh, not spending so much. So find fat in your expenses, get rid of that. The other thing is you could like get a job, you can do, you know, something part-time, maybe somewhere you enjoy working. Uh, maybe you get discounts there. So like maybe I could work at a homebrew shop. I get to talk to people that like brew beer all day. And then maybe I get discounts on something that's a hobby. So it's kind of fueling. So another one of those compound things that where you're getting multiple benefits from like a single decision.
1: Yeah. Working at Taco Bell, you get the free meal there, you get paid and you don't have to, you, one of your meals is comped for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's almost no downside to Taco Bell. I would say.
1: I, I don't think so. I can't think of any. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good place.
0: <laughs> I haven't eaten there in a while. Um, it's been. I was gonna. say, I thought it was a long time. It's been like a month. But <laughs> <laughs> they did bring the Mexican pizza back, which is pretty exciting. You know what? I've never ordered a Mexican pizza. Why do you like it so much?
1: I, I don't know. You know, I remember having it the first time, like well, twenty years ago. And I didn't like it that much, but it just grew on me. I guess. Yeah. What, what all is on there? I don't know. It's like two tortillas with some meat or w- whatever that substance is. I don't think it's actual meat. It's some
0: kind of... It's a meat-looking uh, substance. Okay.
1: It's a meat product. Whenever you hear the word product, you know <laughs> yeah. the word yeah. proceeding isn't real, like cheese product, meat product. But yeah, yeah. W- whatever the chemicals are, they taste pretty good. Yeah.
0: But. And what you described is like every fucking thing on the menu. There's a tortilla, some meat, cheese, a little lettuce... So, it's just flat.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's all the stuff pretty much rearranged with different quantities. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it it's great. It would be great. So, okay, so you could get a part time job. The other thing, which is a little, you know maybe not as common, but you can only uh, or you could just spend the dividend. So instead of selling and like realizing the loss during a down market, you can just withdraw the dividends. So you had mentioned that recently Carl and that that's a decent strategy, right?
1: Yeah, so now I looked it up VTSX is paying like a 1.54% annual dividend. So if you've got a million dollars in there, that's about 15,400 for you to spend. Uh dividends go up and down a lot of times if a company is struggling, they will reduce their dividend, but I think they typically try to avoid that cuz people love dividends and they have a fit when that happens, but yeah, and that just might be a good retirement plan too. Cut your stop your dividend reinvestment and live off that.
0: Cool. And there are some stocks like VTSAX you said like 1.54%, but there are other stocks that pay like more and there, there's a whole like uh you know group of people that do dividend investing, right?
1: Yeah, dividend growth investors. Those people are passionate. If you uh if you speak out against their religion, they will be very, very angry. And you can get into some good, good, good Twitter fights over that. We should have one of them on. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but we'll, we'll get someone on who's a dividend investor.
0: Yeah. I, I know I listened to a podcast a while back and yeah, the person was super into it. And I was like, you could do, I think you could do better like mathematically, but they were just looking at cash flow. They were only thinking about the cash flow, um, from the dividends. Yeah. So, I yeah. guess it's valid, right?
1: I think you can do better. I think there's been studies done where a growth portfolio portfolio usually beats a dividend portfolio over the long term. Not Now we're going to get hate mail. <laughs> <Doug> at, <laughs> yeah. What's our email address? Doug at milehighfi.com.
0: You got it. Okay. That's right. Awesome. So and, any other things before I kind of wrap it up with a quote?
1: I don't think so. Go for it, Doug.
0: Okay. So... I will uh, give Michael Kitsis a plug. And I actually listened to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast where uh, Scott and your wife Mindy interviewed Michael and they were talking about the 4% rule. So that's episode 351 if you want to check it out. But I went back into Michael's archive about the sequence of return risks. So here it is. I'm going to try to read it verbatim as, as well as I can. It turns out that the true driver of sequence of returns risk and safe withdrawal rates are the returns that the retiree earns over the first decade, and specifically the real returns over the first decade that provide an indication of whether the retirement portfolio will have produced enough real growth to keep up with inflation-adjusted spending for the rest of retirement. Basically, the first decade matters the most. So. You can look at the first couple of years, but even if you um, even if you make it fat past like the first two or three years, you have to look at the full decade. Um, and once you get past that, then you're probably okay. And you can make really good assumptions. Uh, number one, you're not going to, I mean, you're 10 years uh, older. and You don't have to uh, think about having as much money in there because you're going to die sooner. And you also know um, what happened in the previous 10 years. And yeah, any anything else there?
1: I don't know. One quick thought I had, I, uh, I had a friend and acquaintance who would not invest any money. I'm like, ah, well, why don't you do any of that? And they're like, well, I'm probably going to die young, so I don't need to save anything. I'm like, oh, so what's your backup plan if that doesn't actually come to fruition? It was a very weird comment, but I was just thinking like your first 10 years are the most important and if it doesn't work out, you could just... Uh, Hope die after the first ten years. I mean, I hope not. But
0: yeah, and uh, p- part of me, I, I almost want to reread this to insert it back. But do you ever do you ever read <laughs> out loud to someone, and then you totally mess up the cadence of the sentence, and then well, you start giggling like a fucking idiot. It ever happened to you? <laughs> no. Yeah, unfortunately, every now and then it happens. And then I I just can't, I can't get it back. I can't get it back. So anyway, we will link to the original full article that Michael wrote. I think it was like 2014 or 2012, but he goes into great detail about sequence of returns risk and things that you should consider. Um, So I do encourage you to check it out. And I think a point that I made earlier is just like, we have plenty of time for retirement so if you see things are different than you anticipated like you can adjust along the way and that is uh an important part to consider
1: yeah this uh you don't withdraw in a vacuum you know what's going on with the economy and everything else so be flexible if the shit
0: changes you need to change too all right well thanks carl we'll catch on the next episode yeah see you dog Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. It turns out that the true driver of sequence of returns, risk, and safe withdrawal rates, are the returns that the retiree earns over the first decade, and specifically the real returns over the first decade. That pro- <laughs> I knew I'd mess it up. So that's just a comma there. The real returns over the first decade that provide an in- indication. <laughs> <laughs> this is not financial
1: advice, people. Yeah. All right, we're, we're gonna we're gonna stick with it the real returns. <laughs> You've got this. You can do it. I believe in you. Over
0: the first decade. <laughs> you should just get laughing. And you can't, you can't. All right.
1: <laughs> well, pick they're it, going to spike kids. I'll try to finish up. That provide an indication of whether the retirement portfolio will have produced enough real growth to keep up with inflation adjusted spending for the rest of retirement. What was you trying to say there, Doug? I think we've, uh, the train went off the rails. <laughs> I don't know what happened to me there.